Peace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God on this occasion as we find it written in the letter of Paul to the Romans, reading there in the first chapter, the 17th verse. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, uh, you who are here in church, and you also, Christian friends, who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. It is nice having you here in God's house on this beautiful day, and it is nice also, members of the radio audience, to have you worshiping with us this morning. As you know, today we are celebrating the 450th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. On this coming Tuesday this week, October the 31st, it will be 450 years because it was on that day in the year 1517 that a young Augustinian monk nailed his 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. Those 95 theses or statements or short sentences were protests against the church of Martin Luther's day. At the time, he was just a young man, about 34 years of age. We may say, what was behind that move of Luther in nailing the 95 Theses to the door of the church that day? It was this, Christian friends, that man had found something. It was a great discovery. It was a tremendous piece of good news. And that was what was behind his action. He had found this, that man Martin Luther, that to obtain salvation, that it matters not to God what you and I may be, that it matters not to God how sinful our past has been, that it matters not to God how charged our scroll may be, that God asks only this in exchange for salvation, in exchange for deliverance from sin and death and hell. God asks only that we put our faith and our trust, our confidence in Jesus as our Savior. He doesn't ask anything more. God doesn't ask even one good work on your part and mine in order to atone for any of our past sins. That was the great good news that Martin Luther had discovered. And today, 450 years later, we're going to look at that good news and we're going to ask ourselves, is that good news still true? What about this thing that God doesn't care whom you are or what I am, that God doesn't care how terrifying our past may have been, that God doesn't care how your sins and mine look in his sight, that God says to you and me, if we want to be saved, if you and I want to obtain salvation, God says, then just trust Jesus as your Savior. 
put a childlike confidence in him and embrace him and then I'll save you and I'll ask not one thing else, not even one good work or one good deed whereby you might think in offering it to me that you will atone for something in your past life. We may say today that sounds just a bit too good to be true. But we may also say today that it sounds too good and it sounds too true for the very simple reason that's exactly what the scriptures testify, what the word of God says. Martin Luther found in the book of Romans in the first chapter, the 17th verse, that Paul said, the just shall live by faith. And that Paul was quoting the prophet Habakkuk of the Old Testament in the second chapter, the fourth verse, where Habakkuk says, the just shall live by faith. That God says that man is just. I declare that man just and free of guilt and free of eternal punishment. I declare that man to have life by faith, who has faith. Faith, a simple childlike trust in Jesus, last and foremost, first and always, nothing else but a simple childlike reliance in Jesus and not one deed does God ask that you and I must do to atone for our sins. And we may say if we look at our lives, surely there must be something that I've got to do. Look at the horror of my life. Look at the things that I have done wrong. How in the world can faith in Jesus do it? I must do something. I've got to atone for some of my past. I've got to offer God something. Surely there must be one good work that God asks. And God says, no, I don't ask even one good work. If you will just put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, I promise to forgive you, to save you eternally. I don't care how your life looks. I don't care how charged the punishment of your scroll may be. And we say to ourselves, is that what the scripture really says, that the just man lives by faith, first and last and always, with nothing in addition, that there is nothing that I've got to offer in addition to faith in Jesus in order for God to save me regardless of how dark my life and my past may be. We may say that's tremendous good news if that's all that God asks. But is that what the scriptures still testify? This morning I'd like for you and for me to go back to the scriptures and to see whether that's really what they say. Whether the word of God still says this is it. That God says, I don't care who you are or what you are. I don't ask one deed on your part. If you'll just put your faith in Jesus, I'll save you. I ask nothing in addition except a childlike reliance in Jesus as your Savior. We may say this morning, how can that be? It just doesn't seem possible that that could be true. And yet it is true because in the first place, the scriptures still testify that you and I do not have even one good work that we could ever offer God in exchange 
for our soul or for our forgiveness. Martin Luther learned something, and when he learned it, it troubled him. He was a young man who was scared to death to die. He had a horrible fear of death. Not death itself, but the thing that troubled him was this. To die means to stand before God. And he knew that God says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. If the best that you and I can offer God is a filthy rag, pray God, how do the worst things look that you and I may offer him? And when the word of God says, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Luther knew that he was unclean, that he was a sinner and so he was scared to death to die. One day from school on the way home he had severed an artery in his foot and he cried out in fear thinking he was going to die. At another time we are told that one of his friends was found dead in bed and it just simply horrified this young man because he thought supposing that had happened to me and I'd stand before a just God who demands perfection and God demands that I offer some kind of a work some kind of a deed to atone to make up for my sins I have none Luther would cry and then one time he was caught out in a thunderstorm and every clap of the thunder filled him with horror and fear, thinking that it was the justice of God, that God was damning him. Luther knew this, that if God demanded just even one good deed in order to atone for his life, that he didn't even have that because God says, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And that God says, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. And Luther knew this, that he didn't have one work, not one deed, that he could offer God in exchange for salvation. And the scriptures still say, neither do you and neither do I. And therefore, if this good news that Luther uncovered 450 years ago, if that isn't true, then may I say this, it's hopeless for you and me. Let's close our churches and let's go home. If God asks one good work, one perfect work from your life and mine in exchange for your salvation and mine, let's stop and throw up our hands in despair because you can't bring a clean thing out of an unclean and there is no difference for all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It was good news 450 years ago that Martin Luther realizing that there was within him no good thing that God says I don't care who you are or what you are all that I ask is this that you put your faith a childlike trust in Jesus as your Savior and I ask nothing in addition not even one word because the scriptures still testify that you and I can't even produce that one perfect work that we could ever offer God and that's why today, as we commemorate and celebrate the 450th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, let's hold fast to this good news, that God says this in his word, that just lives by faith, just believe in Jesus, that's all I ask. I don't ask anything in addition, and I'll save you, I'll justify you, I'll free you from hell and eternal damnation. Just put your trust in Jesus and I'll not ask for even one good word. And when you and I believe that, then we ought to be determined this day to say, we must hold fast to the authority of the scriptures. 
in this matter as regards the way to heaven and the way to eternal life. When Dr. Martin Luther was called to Worms, Germany, and he was asked to recant and to take back what he had said, to take back the good news that he had found in the scriptures, he stood up there at Worms, and it was my privilege to have been there and to have stood in that same area where that building stood at the time when he stood before again the powers and the elite of the church, when he said this, unless you can prove to me on the basis of scripture that I am wrong, I cannot and I will not recant. And then came those immortal words from his lips, here stay he conic unders, God help him here. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise, God help me. My prayer is it will stand there today. That there is only one authority in all manners of faith, that's the word of God, Luther said in his day. It is not again the ministry in the church. It is not any human head of the church. It is not any tribunals and statements of the church. The only authority in the church is the word of God. And that's why in our church today, we keep the Bible open. That you and I may know this is what is preached, that it isn't true just because I preach it. But again, that the Bible is open, that you've got the right to go to the scriptures and to say, what does the word of God say? This is authority. It is the sole, the only authority in matters of faith and life, the word of God. And we've got to hold fast. Men today are misinterpreting it. Men today are saying we've got to demythologize the word of God and take the myth out of it. We've got to reinterpret it. It stands as the only authority. God says, as regards the way to heaven, the just lives by faith. And therefore, again, as we stand in retrospect 450 years away from the Protestant Reformation, we say to ourselves, as we look at the good news that Martin Luther uncovered, is it still true what he said, that God says with regard to obtaining salvation and eternal life, that God says to you and me, I don't care what you are, I don't care what you've done. All that I ask in exchange for salvation is this, that you put your faith, your trust, your childlike confidence in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I ask no more, not even one good work whereby you may feel that you've got to offer it to me to atone for your sins because you feel that your sins are so distressing and that your past is so terrible. God says, only believe, just a childlike faith. And we may say to ourselves, how can that be? Do the scriptures still testify of that? And in the second place they do, because the scriptures still testify that Jesus, that he atoned for all of your sins and mine and for all of the sins of all men when he died on the cross. Luther, in the beginning, didn't know the Christ of the scriptures. He was preparing himself for the career of law. He was in law school. And he thought to himself, if I've got to atone for my own sins, if I've got to offer God some good deed in order to make up and to compensate for my life, then I'm going to take holy orders and I'm going to become a monk. And perhaps in dealing with holy things that I will be able to satisfy this demand of God. 
And so one night he called his friends and his classmates together and they had a party. And at the close of it, when they wanted to know why they had come together, he made this announcement. He says, tomorrow I am going to become a monk. I am going to enter the monastery of St. Augustine. I am going to become a priest. They were rather shocked and flabbergasted and he gave up that career in law in order to become a monk thinking that thereby I can somehow or other atone for my life with deeds, but it didn't satisfy, but finding in the Word of God that God had said, Paul quoting it, that the just man, the man who is declared just and right in God's sight, is declared by faith. Then Luther saw Christ that he had never seen, a Christ who came into the world as the God-man and suffered and died on the cross, not only for man's original sin, but for all of his sins in thought, word, and deed, and for the sins of all men of all times in that eternal sacrifice that Christ had atoned and that Christ had gained all of the good works, all of the righteousness that any man needs in order to be right with God and to be saved. Luther saw that Christ, and when this thing was still boiling within him, he went to Rome, thinking that in the pilgrimage of Rome it would help him. When he saw the city, he said, Hail, eternal city. Then he went to the church of the stairs, and I was in there. Those stairs that are in that church are reputedly from Caiaphas' palace in Jerusalem. And he had been taught, Luther, that if you go up those stairs on your knees, if you go up on your knees, that then you can atone for some of your sins. Yet in his mind there still ran the word of God. But the just man lives by faith. It's by faith in Jesus, not by some deed of atonement. And so the young Luther, he climbs up about halfway on his knees. And it kept ringing in his ears, the just lives by faith. And he got up and turned Ron King down. If faith in Jesus saves me, I don't need one good deed to atone for my sins. He has all the good deeds and all the works and all the righteousness that I need. And so the scriptures still testify that when Christ died on the cross, he gained all the goodness, all the good works, all the righteousness as 100% for the entire human race. And when you and I, yes, it's a simple thing, put our faith and our trust in him, then he gives us that perfect righteousness. And on that basis, God forgives and saves us from hell and gives us eternal life, not asking one good work because we don't have one to give and because in Jesus Christ it just isn't necessary. It would be an insult to him to offer some deed on our part when Jesus was the propitiation for our sins, all of our, and for the sins of the whole world. Some say, how can faith be so wonderful as all that? Well, faith of itself isn't so wonderful. It's a trust in somebody. It's who's on the other end of faith. How can the umbilical cord of the unborn child that connects it to its living mother be so wonderful? There's nothing wonderful about an umbilical cord. It's simply tissue like any other tissue. But the wonderful thing is this. It connects the unborn child to a living mother. And the wonderful thing about faith is not that faith is so meritorious, but it connects you and me to Jesus. 
when you and I say, Lord Jesus, I put my faith and my trust in you as my Savior, in that very moment he gives us that 100% righteousness oh, that causes God the Father to rejoice and to say, you are just. I declare you free of guilt. I declare you free of punishment. I bestow upon you eternal life. That's good news that Christ Jesus has all the good works that you need or that I need or any man within the sound of my voice and I don't care who you are or how dirty and black your soul is the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses it it's that wonderful and as you and I stand today 450 years later and we say to ourselves if Martin Luther discovered that good news is it still true it is still true, the word of God still so testifies that just lives by faith. Faith first, last, and always, nothing in addition. God doesn't ask anything else, not even one good work because we don't have it and because it isn't necessary. Christ has all the good works that he merited on the cross, that there isn't one that you and I need to add in order to atone. And when we can believe that good news today, 450 years later, then in the great ecumenical movement that is going on amongst the churches, let's bear this in mind, we can't lose this good news. We're talking so much about union and about unity. Christ prayed for the unity of the church and therefore we should work for it. Christ prayed that we all may be one. It would be a wonderful thing if all Christendom were united and we stood with one front to the world and we said, here we stand, but we've got to be careful that we don't lose our soul in this oneness. There is one thing that the church must hold on to tenaciously, and that is the good news. But when a man becomes upset within himself and he feels that it's hopeless to be saved, that a man can still hear the good news, that all that is necessary is put your faith and trust in Jesus. Not one deed to atone necessary. Jesus has done it all. That we can't lose. Men who go out and look for gold, they usually take a touchstone with them and if they find a nugget, they rub it on the touchstone to see whether it's fool's gold or whether it's genuine gold. The church must have a touchstone. In the unity movement, the touchstone is going to have to be this good news that God graciously and gladly forgives and saves any man regardless of who or what he is. If he puts his faith in Jesus without one good work, we can't lose that because that's the only way to peace with God. Luther came to peace with God. Finally, there came rest within. He knew that when he put faith in Jesus on the basis of Scripture, that the righteousness of Jesus was his. And he knew that having that, that God the Father gladly forgave him, he had the assurance of being a saved soul. And from that moment on, Nothing else meant anything to him except that men should know that. And so what did he do when he was in the Whiteburg? That man alone took the New Testament from the original Greek language and translated it into the German language. He made the German language. Movable print had come in about that time with Gutenberg. And again, this thing was printed, the Bible in German, that people could understand. Then with the help of others, the Old Testament from the Hebrew, translating it into German that the people of his day might be able to have the word of God and read it and there see the good news 
that God Almighty asks only this of a sinner, regardless of how black his sins may be, just put your faith and your trust in Jesus. That's all I ask. Not even one good deed. That's what the Word of God says. And that's the message of the church. And if we fail in that message, who's going to do it if the church fails? To preach, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's what Martin Luther, a young monk, uncovered 450 years ago. We may say to ourselves, is it still true? Is that good news still true? Do the scriptures still testify? And they certainly do. Because the scriptures still testify this, that when you and I have come to faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then a Christian life, a life of good works, will follow as the day follows the night. Oh, Luther was accused of this, that he was preaching that we are saved by faith alone and not by any deeds in our life, so that life doesn't count. That as long as you believe in Jesus, that you can live as you please. Luther knew what Jesus had said, that a good tree brings forth good fruit, can't help itself. A corrupt tree brings forth corrupt truth. And when you and I have a living faith in Christ, a faith in Jesus, when he comes to live in our hearts, cannot help but produce a life pleasing to God. For in faith it pleases, and therefore the Christian life does count. Not to save, because we are already saved before we can live a Christian life, but faith in Jesus becomes a tremendous motive that we in our Christian life, then we can do deeds that please God, because having Christ, he makes them right. And our life becomes a thank you to God. Thanks for salvation. Thanks for Jesus Christ. There is no greater motive for the Christian life than, again, thankfulness to God for salvation in Jesus. Luther was accused of having preached salvation by believing in Jesus that he wanted to do wrong. He was told the reason he did it was because he wanted to get married. And therefore there was something about marriage that some people would think was rather immoral. There's something sexual about marriage. There is something wrong. And so again, he was accused of the Reformation because he wanted to get married. He did get married. He was 42 years old at the time. He married a girl by the name of Katerina Frunbora, or Catherine Frunbora. She was a nun, and she left the nunnery. They were married, why? He was asked that he might sanctify marriage. Marriage, wrong? Something sinful about marriage for a minister or for a priest? Something wrong in that one institution that we have left from Eden when God married our first parents before sin came into the world? Pray God, what is wrong with a holy institution like marriage? Luther got married. Wrong in the institution of God. He and Katerina, they had six children. They had three sons. One's name was John or shortened for Hans, which was my father's name. Another one was Martin, which is my name, and another one was Paul. And they had three daughters. There was Magdalene, there was Margaret, and there was Elizabeth. They had six children. Several of them died in childhood. Isn't it strange that 
this was to be something wrong. And yet after 450 years, and I say this in all humility, after 450 years when Life magazine took an audit of priests in the Roman Catholic Church, 50,000 priests today went on record as saying they would like a choice as to whether they might marry or whether they might not marry. Thank God for the Protestant parsonage. And thank God that men are saying, where in the word of God is there any kind of spurning of marriage? 50,000, a priest that I know who is a good friend of mine. When I said to him right out, you don't have to answer unless you want to, would you like to be married? And he said, yes, I would like to be married. But our people don't understand. If there is something that you and I feel is wrong in marriage, let's blame God. Marriage is a holy estate, the only thing left from Edenic bliss before sin came into the world. Luther would say that the Christian life doesn't count, oh God knew. When we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, faith in him could mean nothing less than a life of thank you, growing in grace, in Christian life, in Christ's likeness to the glory of God. The great, great discovery of the Reformation. Let's bring it right down here this morning. What does it mean to you and me? It means just this. Is there anybody in church this morning or anybody listening to the radio, I don't care where you're at, where you have hesitated to put your faith in Christ because of your past life and you're saying you could never atone for some of the things that you've done? Does it seem hopeless to you? And have you held off because you said faith couldn't ever save me, I'm too wicked. The things that I've done, why, I, if I took a million years, I could never atone. What's use of even trying? May I say to you, the Reformation means this. The just shall live by faith. All that God asks, he doesn't care who you are or what you are. If you have hesitated because it seems so hopeless, can you just say, Lord Jesus, I put my faith and my trust in you as my Savior. You may say, did anybody ever do it just like that? Well, you know, Luther knew this story. There was a malefactor on the cross on the right side of Jesus one day. Remember that? A malefactor, a murderer, and a robber. He hadn't done anything decent in all of his life. And it was the eleventh hour, and life was slowly going out. He was crucified on the right side of Jesus. He had never done one thing, and he turned to Jesus, and he realized who he was, and he cried out. He said, Lord, remember me, won't you? When you come into your kingdom, remember me. Re reaching out of faith, Jesus, would you, would you just remember me? And don't forget, friend, Jesus looked down at him, remember you. Why, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. You're, you're going to heaven with me. You say, do you mean to say that if my faith is only 10 seconds old that I can be saved? That's exactly what I'm saying. Can't you say, Lord, remember me? Can you? If you can say, I don't care who you are. If you can say, oh, Lord, remember me. I put my faith and my trust in you as my Lord. If it's only 10 seconds old, you're saved. He didn't ask that you atone. You've got nothing to offer him. 
Can't you say, Lord, remember me? And then you and I can have the joy of even though our faith is only 30 seconds old and it's weak. Nevertheless, whoever said that a weak faith isn't a saving faith? Luther was a man. He had his weak moments. When again there was a price on his head, he realized what it meant to be despondent. One day in a weak moment he thought Satan was really after him. He picked up an inkwell and he slammed it against the wall. And then again he wondered, is it all worth it? Remember that's when Katharina, or he called her Katie my rib, and, and she knew how to handle a preacher, and she knew when they get despondent and they get lonely, and she saw that he was, oh, his spirits were down. Remember that was the time she dressed up in black and put all her black clothes on, came in and sat in his study and just sat there, and he said, what are you all dressed up in black for? She said, I'm going to a funeral. He said, going to a funeral, whose funeral? She says, God's. He said, going to God's funeral, and she said, yes. I'm going to God's funeral because God must have died by the look on your face. She said, Luther, God must be dead. And then, of course, he had to smile. God dead. Oh, a weak faith. Why, the word of God says that a broken reed he won't break. Take the flower and break the stem. If your faith in mine is just that, do you think that God will tear it apart? God says, no, it's still a saving faith. Or a smoking flax, there's no flame, but it's just smoking. Do you think that God would put it out? No. Whoever said that it had to be a strong faith to be a saving faith. The Reformation means this. I don't care who you are what you are. If you can say this morning, Lord, remember me. That's a faith that saves to the uttermost. That's what Luther believed. When on his deathbed they asked him, are you going to recant? Are you going to die in what you taught? It was in the spirit of Worms that again he said, oh, I'm going to hold on. In other words, again, here stay, here I stand. I cannot do otherwise, God help me. A man that could write, a mighty fortress is our God. Hold on, God will see that this is preserved. Was the same man with such a meek and humble spirit that he could give us the Christmas carol from heaven above to earth I come to bear good news to every home and it has the verse, Ah, dearest Jesus, holy child, make thee a bed soft, undefiled within my heart that it may be a quiet chamber kept for thee. Oh, let's hold on to the heritage of the Reformation, the great good news that God says, I don't care who you are or what you are, if you want me to justify you, to save you, just put your faith in Jesus. Let's keep it alive. I'm Festivore, Kisunzer God. A mighty fortress is our God. The just shall live by faith, says the word. Hallelujah. That's still true. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.